I came home from the funeral last night and I tried my best to change my message. I wanted something light. I wanted something that made people feel good. I even went back through the archives and I had hundreds of those. And God said no. Because we're in a day we've never been in before. And I know this church knows it. I know many of the people watching know it. Not everyone, but many of the people watching know it. And I believe we're in such a time that if we don't come to the reality of where we're really at. I told several people in the last couple of days. You know, I've I've been on the earth a while. But I believe that I was born for this hour. I believe you were born for this hour. I really believe that with all of my heart. I believe we're here to make a difference. I believe we're here to make a change. And if we don't do it, I think there's a lot at stake. I've thought about all the many messages that we've given about how to live the abundant life and how to overcome. And those were just precursors, really. All that's still truth. All that is reality. But the situation is we've got something much greater at stake than a feel-good message. Um, I'm going to ask Terry if he'll come. He had he had a word. We sent this out to the intercessors during the night. But I want you just to... He was, he's been pretty much undone most of the night as well. This is exciting to me. This is not negative or heavy. It's exciting when God cares enough to shake us and to wake us. Let me tell you, the church is getting shaken. The church the church of Jesus Christ is being shaken. And it's not going to be the same. It can never, we, we can never go back to what it was. So, if you would. Okay, again, 30 seconds. It's been a rough night. It's been a good night. It's been a rough night. It's been a rough morning because the presence of God is, uh, he can undo you in such a way that it's beautiful. And he has, uh, I told Donna this morning, I feel like I've been put through a shredder. This is hard when I'm going to read. It's a warning, but it's a warning with hope. Tremendous hope. I heard this at 1246 this morning. Excuse me. I am waiting and I am listening to hear my people call on my name and return to me. If you do, I will heal your land. I see many returning to me. Don't 
he screamed that word. Don't miss your appointed time to turn from your ways and return to me. If my people do not repent from their evil and turn from their sinful ways, I will remove my hand of protection from your nation. And suddenly there was silence. And my eyes opened in the spirit realm. And I saw a dark cloud descending throughout cities in America. As the clouds began to cover them with darkness, I saw evil, demonic spirits being released by Satan. The protection of God had been removed and hell had been unleashed. I then heard the Spirit of God say, Don't be deceived with just the declaration that you are immune in this, from this demonic destruction because you claim to be living in a land of Goshen. I hear these words from many, and they're often hollow and empty because most of my people don't really know me as father. Beware that you are not deceived because I will not be mocked anymore. Repent and return, and I will heal your land. America is a part of my design, but my people have left me. If you return, I will heal and prosper the land. You will experience my presence wherever you go. Simply repent and return to me, and this nation will be blessed. I put some personal notes that the fast we're about to enter is the most crucial decision in our lives as a church, as a people, as a nation. When I finished typewriting all this, I just heard this little analogy. We are standing at the edge of a river, much like the Israelites, as they were fleeing the Egyptians. We are facing a decision with only two options. The easy decision is to turn back and surrender to Egypt and return to slavery and possible death. The other decision is to take a step of faith into the water with the belief that it will turn to dry land and we will enter into the promised land. What will be our decision? Baseline mic, it's an armpit mic today. They don't design mics for women's clothes. That reminded me of a word that Pastor Zach got several couple, several prayer times ago. Pastor Zach, is it okay if I share your word? It says, we stand firm against evil before we can see the victory. The church must close the door to evil. You've heard statements like, don't miss the window, the intervention. A line has been drawn. Choose a side. The window is closing. The decision time is coming. I call my sons and daughters to sell out. I'm telling my church to change, take the rags off, put on the robe. I'm calling the church out of the pits of insecurities, a muddy field of fear, the landfills of passivity. Arise in boldness, arise in authority, arise with a fire, arise with love, arise, arise, arise. 
As you arise, I'm going to arise with you. I'm taking my land back. I'm calling you to 40 days fast. You reject evil and I will open the heavenly realms and pour down favor on you. This is a, this is a sentence I can't forget. You will reap what you sow in the fast. You will reap what you sow in the fast. We're living in such a sober time. Terry was reading me a word this morning that I missed this week from Lana Vosser. And it's everything that we've been saying. Dutch Sheets is saying everything we've been hearing. Chuck Pierce is saying everything. People that we respect that we know are hearing from God. People in this church that we respect are hearing from God and they're saying the same thing. And I believe, like we said, I I think we're in a window of time that's so crucial for the destiny of, of people here, our families, our nation. You know, we, we lost a client at Genesis this week, 20 years old. We'd had her since she was 17. It's heartbreaking to see so much potential be buried for, for no, no good reason. And you know, the first thing I thought, I said, I wonder if she had a praying grandmother. Because I know how I pray, I know how many of you pray. I wonder if she had a praying grandmother that could put the warring angels around her to protect her. I'm telling you, our, our next generation is at stake in this nation. The enemy wants them. Beautiful, beautiful girl. Sweet spirit. But the enemy is so deceptive and he's so deceiving. Dan sent me something this morning. Is it okay if I re- would you like to read it? He sent me something this morning that was written in 1979. This is by Leonard Ravenhill, if you know who that is. It says, and yet if I could, I would like to call together thousands of preachers in different countries of the world to spend a week in the prayer for revival. I would like to see them given instruction in prayer, not seminars on prayer, mind you, but exhortation to pray. We could spend the whole week praying with periodic breaks. I believe this would be a a detergent in the life of the church. It would be a cleansing process. We could go back to our churches and perhaps stave off judgment and God would usher in the revival that must come. Before Jesus comes, I am convinced that we will see a great sowing Pentecost that will out Pentecost Pentecost. God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, as Joel said. Our sons and our daughters will prophesy. God will produce a race of spiritual giants for the last mighty and gathering. Today, God has these leaders hidden. But in these last, in this great day of the Lord, he will bring them to light and the last shall be first. I pray that day will come soon. And then he sent me another quote that Lennon Hill, uh, Raven Hill had quoted. And this was from Andrew Bonar, which was a century before Raven Hill. He said, I looked for the church and found it in the world. And I looked for the world and found it in the church. Sobering thoughts, isn't it? Sobering thoughts. You know, we we just can't go on pretending anymore that there's not a problem. We can't go on pretending. We just, all we have to do is open our eyes and see. And we've been saying this, you know, 2020 was just, I mean, it started out, we were given the theme of the church deployed. And that means we're put on military assignment when you're deployed. And you're put on military assignment for battle. Little did we know, two, three months later, what the battle would be. Little did we know the two kingdoms that have been clashing for centuries, thousands of years, would become so on on mainstream TV in front of us. Little did we know 
that the evil that has been undercurrent in those dark hidden places would come out boldly in your face. Little did we know that. And so this hence my message, wake up sleeping giant. And you know, I've told you for weeks and months that the Lord spoke to me. I'm actually, I think a couple of years ago, I was just walking through my house. I think I tell you this every week because it's so profound to me. And all I heard was while the church was sleeping, while the church was sleeping. And I began to think of while the church was sleeping, all that has happened. But wake up sleeping giant. And I, and I, you know, I just kind of looked and I thought, oh, what is a sleeping giant? And I found some references. If you refer to someone or something as a sleeping giant, you mean that they are powerful, but they have not yet shown the full extent of their power. That's a sleeping giant. Many in here are sleeping giants. Many believers are sleeping giants. They just haven't been awakened yet, but I'm telling you, they're rousing up. They're stirring. The church is coming alive. When I say church, I'm talking about the body, the members. I'm not talking about organizations. I don't know how many organizations have got a clue, but I know there's a lot of believers that have a clue. In the years before Pearl Harbor, I found this little statistic. Admiral Yamamoto had spent much of his time analyzing what would happen in a war waged against the U.S. And and warning higher-ups about the difficulties Japan would have winning or even holding its own in such a war. He He concluded that Japan might do well in the early months of such a war, but would be fighting a protracted rear guard war by retreat effort defensively back toward the Japanese mainland and ultimate defeat. That's kind of garbled, but you know what I'm saying. This is what the, uh, the end of it is. This is what he said. I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant. This was after the fact. And fill him with a terrible resolve. That's what's happened in 2020. Let me tell you, there was a sleeping giant because of all that we've seen going on. The sleeping giant has been awakened with a terrible resolve. Napoleon once pointed to a map of China and said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it'll be unstoppable. Look at China today. Chuck Pierce says this. He prophesied 10, 15 years ago that it was going to be the mega power in the world one day. And there's a call to ecclesia. There's a call to the church of Jesus Christ to awaken, to to get up, to become that that giant that we're called to be. And, you know, we've talked so much on ecclesia here in this church. What is ecclesia? We're supposed to be ruling authorities. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be a, a gathering of people who've been given legislative ability to shift regions, to shift cities, to shift nations. And I believe we can. I believe we can. I think this uh, Admiral Yamamoto, when he, when he said that they might have success early in the war, but in the end it was going to come back and bite them. So that's a quote, <laughs> paraphrase. I thought about what's going on today. I think the devil has had some early victories, but I'm telling you, the sleeping giant's awakening. And the sleeping giant is not going to allow some of this evil to go on that's been going on in our nation. We can't allow it. But while the church was sleeping, see, while the church was sleeping, so much happened in our nation. So many laws were passed that weren't right. I'm telling you, we've got, don't just get duped on thinking all we need to do is vote for president. We need to vote for our local leaders. 
We need to know who our mayors are going to be and our city councils and our, and our school council board members. We need to know these people. They need to be godly people. Right? Your children's future, your ch- grandchildren's future is at stake with this. But there was a warning that was given over 2,000 years ago. You think, well, this is just something new. No, it's not. The first century church got the same warning. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14 says, Paul was speaking, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. And he says, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. See, we're, we, you know, what did that guy say? He said, I was looking for the church and found it in the world. It was out play- and I was looking for the world and I found it in the church. The two came together and it's very difficult to tell the difference. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. And yet we pay hundreds of dollars a month to have it coming into our house. And we listen to the junk and we watch things that we shouldn't watch. And we read things that we shouldn't. Last week, I'm, I ministered on protecting the heart. Above all we do, we protect the heart for such a time as this, if ever. What are we allowing our mind to be molded around? And then we come to church on Sunday, we want to raise hands and praise God while we've been filling our minds all week with junk that's totally opposed to who God is. Let me tell you, this kind of message brings division, not unity. And it's supposed to. Jesus said he didn't come. To bring peace. He came what? To bring the sword. He's going to separate family members against family members. Let me tell you, in the day that we're in, the church is drawing a line. And we, we heard, we've been saying that for, for months. you got to decide which side of the line you're going to be on in this day we're in. And I don't care who wins in November. It does not it matters to me. But I don't care who wins. You're still, we're going to have problems in this nation in November. Probably greater problems than we've ever had, regardless of which side it, it takes to leave. We better be on our face praying. That's why when Pastor Zach, the word, he said, you're going to reap what you sow in this fast. It is so true. This is the most important time of our life. And some of you that are younger, you you know, I can look back and see a lot of years. Maybe some of you, like Kelly has a birthday today. So maybe she can't look back so far. But let me tell you, when you can look back and you can see, and you can see the changes that have transpired in a nation. And you got to be able to see, you got to be able to see spirits. You got to be able to discern what's really happening in the spirit realm. You got to know that this is a two kingdoms in conflict. It's not, it's not about political party and it's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about somebody's money. It's not about that. But all of that's important. We're not downplaying that. He says, but it's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. Paul was talking to the first century church for Pete's sakes, Becky Hammett. For Pete's sakes. (laughs) She's got us saying that all the time. I know she's watching. Awake, O sleeper. And I looked up that word sleeper. And, you know, we think, we know what it means. It means to be sleeping, right? Well, metaphorically, it means something much more important. And this is out of the Strong's Concordance. Metaphorically, it means to yield to sloth and sin, to be indifferent to one's salvation. To be indifferent to one's salvation. Awake, O sleeper. 
Does your, does your salvation matter to you? Hebrews 2, let's look at that. It says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore the great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. And furthermore, listen to this. Golly, how many times I've read this? And you know what? I first saw this. It's like I saw it for the first time. It's not angels who will control the future world we're talking about. Who is it then? Well, he tells us. For in one place the scriptures say, what are mere mortals that you should think about them or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you were made a little lower than the angels. Horrible translation. Now every Greek translation says angels. That is not the way. They're referring to Psalm chapter 8. Erasmus, if you know who that was, lost a very good theological friend over this very discussion. In the book of Psalms, it's very clearly Elohim. Make big difference. And I I did a lot of reading on commentaries on this over the recent days. Nobody had a good excuse. Everybody kept saying, well, it's referring back to Psalm 8, but it really talks about Elohim and not angels. Okay. I just had to throw that in. I forgot to see if it was Elohim, plural Elohim, singular. Can you look that up real quick? Well, no, it can be either way. Yeah. But see, see what it says if it's referring in... In uh, Psalm 8, if it's referring to Elohim, God or Elohim, sons of God. Some of you know what we're talking about. And you gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. Believers are responsible for the world we live in. Didn't we not say that Derek Prince said that? Charles Finney says that. So all the greats say that. You look at the condition of your nation and the church is responsible and then as the church, we've said it, as the church goes, so goes the nation, so goes the world, so goes our city, so goes our school, so goes our government. So we cannot ignore this great salvation. Charles Finney said that if there are loose morals in the nation, it's the fault of the pulpit. And I kind of disagree a little bit, and I think I posted this on Facebook, my second audience. I believe if there's loose morals, it's the fault of empty prayer rooms. Because if you get the prayer rooms filled, the pulpit's going to get on fire. You can, you can, somebody can stand behind a pulpit and pray all they want to, but if there's no prayer backing it, it's dry and it's dead and nothing happens. Prayer can even make the most simple message powerful. It can. Matthew 24 says, therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you do not expect. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church. The church is a sleeping giant. He says, therefore, stay awake. Jesus is talking to, Jesus is talking while he's on the earth. Stay awake, church. He's not talking about don't sleep like we don't ever sleep. Who was it? Ron said, do you guys ever sleep? The answer is no, Ron. We can sleep later. We always used to say we can sleep when we go to heaven. 
We got to stay awake and we got to be in balance. You know what I'm saying? But we have to be awake spiritually. We have to have eyes to see. We cannot have, we cannot be slumber minded people. As we enter into the 40 days of prayer and fasting, and if we begin our 12 hours on September 26th, the church has got to be in tune. I was up most of last night that I was awake praying in the spirit because I start praying in my understanding and I think, God, what I pray in the spirit. I want you to pray my will. Pray in the spirit. There was just such an urgency to not miss what God was really saying for this hour. And we know when we pray in the spirit, we pray the perfect will of God, don't we? I put myself to sleep praying in the spirit. Matthew 26, Jesus warned his disciples. He returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, can't you just watch with me one hour? Keep one watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And there's a church in the Revelation, y'all are familiar with it. We've taught on it several times, the church of Sardis. And it was called the slumbering church. And, you know, I love to study those seven churches because they all, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they, they refer through the ages. Some think they're dispensational. Others are kind of, you know, what did you find? It's sons of God. Okay, so he has made us a little lower than the sons of God. And if you know what that means, if you don't, see me later. It's right out of Genesis chapter 1. Revelation 3 says, Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Sardis. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know all that you do, and I know that you have a reputation for being really alive, but you're actually dead. See, there's a lot of churches that have a a reputation for being alive, but are they really alive? A lot of Christians might have, we all are breathing here this morning. We have a reputation for being alive, but are we really alive spiritually? He says, wake up. And strengthen what remains in this sight in this day. Remember all the things you received and heard, then turn back to God, obey him, for if you continue to slumber, I will come to you like a thief, and you'll have no idea what hour I will come. We're living in this day, guys. We're living in this day. The church of Sardis was known for its vibrant external activities. It was the first body to, to, to actually turn to Christianity, but it was also in that region, but it was also the first to leave. The faith. Second Timothy 3, 5 says that this church had the appearance of godliness but denied its power. In other words, they act religious but they reject the power that would make them godly. Going through the motions. Just going through. I don't know about you. I don't like going through the motions. Do you? I don't like, you know, when I was in corporate America, I used to say, I hate having meetings for the sake of having meetings. Every week we'd have a staff meeting and we'd just around and accomplish nothing. I said, I could be doing something. Why do we have to meet for the sake of meetings? Well, you know, a lot of times we can fall into that in church if we're not careful. Something needs to happen when we're together. There's power coming together in corporate unity. So what does a a sleeping church look like? Number one. They're asleep to the spiritual signs of what's going on in the earth today. We see a lot of people who have no clue. And they love God. I know they love God. They have no clue. All they see is what they've always seen. And it's it's burdensome. I think that's why we're up a lot. That's why the burden of God is so heavy on many of us here. 
is because a lot of the church has no clue what's really going on in the earth today. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all had become drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go gather to the, go to the dealers and buy for yourself. See, there's always somebody who wants to ride the coattail of your anointing. That's okay as long as they start doing for themselves, you know, but you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't be God to those people, right? Give them opportunities to grow. Give them opportunities to do things for themselves. If they don't, you just, you know, you can't, Jesus didn't mess with it, right? They came to him, told him what they had to do. Sorry, can't do that. Okay. And then, you know, it grieved his heart, but what he had, he let him go. He didn't go running after him and having plan B. No, he said, this is what's necessary. This is the message of the church. This is what's necessary today in the, in the world that we live in. You know, as much prosperity and blessing ministry as we've had in this church, that sh- you should have that down pat by now. Now, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? We've got to live it, haven't we? We have got to live it. And you know what? I believe God wants to prosper more than ever. I tell you, I believe God wants to prosper more than ever. We kind of jokingly said this last week. How do you transform a city? You buy it. What if all the marketplace people were Christians and we transformed our city that way? What if they all did that? I believe that can happen to you. God wants you to prosper for his purposes and for his kingdom. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Careless people. Many are getting drowsy while waiting on the return of the Lord, I believe. Many Christians are getting drowsy. I've got some statistics in a moment, but I was just reading the 2020 George Barna State of the Church in America sometime during the night, sometime. I think it's 34% drop in people who attend church today versus 1993. We're seeing the, the millennials and the Gen Zs dropping out of church like crazy. Why? I think it's because the church has been asleep and they've had nothing to offer. You've got, a, you've got all these wonderful young people who want, who want truth. They want reality. They don't want you to play games. They don't want you to be hypocritical. They don't want you to say one thing and do something. They want to see power, the power that's in here. That's what we believe. We believe we're a resurrection power house, right? So we've, we've got to not be careless. We, they no longer the need to keep the relationship with God intact. No longer important to get up and pray. No longer important to attend prayer. No longer important to attend church. On you know, it's very important that we assemble ourselves together. And all of this is going on in our nation now. They're saying you can't sing. Uh, now they're I don't know if this is true. Zach's trying to figure this out. As of October one, somebody said they won't even have live music on Facebook anymore from church services. I don't know if that's true or not, but he's checking it out. I saw it. What is this all about? All these churches that are being shut down, they want you to wear a mask if you or not sing at all. What's that about? The rocks are going to cry out if we don't praise him. And so we've got, you know, we've got this situation that's, that's nursing this apathy and this complacency and this carelessness. 
So we just give in because, well, it's okay. We've got people that stay home that should be in church. I said we're here to bring division, right? And the children too, especially the children. Yes. Use wisdom. Use wisdom, but don't be foolish. Wow. They get careless. They fall asleep. They begin flirting with sin. Suddenly it's not so bad anymore. Suddenly this is okay to watch. This is okay to do. This is okay. to. I'll laugh at this. I'll do that. The spirit is no longer present. And we keep looking for things to fill the void. So what do we do? We incorporate all these incredible programs, which are powerless. John 4.35 says, you know, they're saying four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Already ripe for harvest. Can we really see that there's, there's a harvest out there that's waiting for the real church to go and get it? to go and collect that real church, that real harvest. There's a harvest that's ready. There's young souls that are ready. There's that Lazarus generation that's waiting for somebody to call them forth into their destinies. We've got to, we've got to quit playing church and become the church. While the church slept, immorality slept, crept into, slept into the church. Cohabitation, same-sex relationships were given acceptance while the church slept. Abortion was pushed through our national laws while the church slept. Porn became a major industry in our nation and a major problem in the life of Christians while the church slept. Church slept and prayer was removed from church, from schools and from our government. And our church became a powerless social organization rather than a life-bearing power of life, life-giving power. It is beyond a coincidence that every social indicator took a nosedive once prayer and the Bible were removed from our standard. And in fact, that revelation was added and the gray area of no absolute right or wrong became individual standards of vacillation. And it should not surprise any one of the following results. The criminal arrest of teens is up 150% according to the U.S. Bureau of Census. I believe it's higher than that now. Teen suicides from 15 to 19 up 450% according to National Center of Health Services. Illegal drug activity up 6,000% according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Child abuse cases up 2,300% according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Divorce up up 350%. SAT scores fell 10%. Violent crimes have risen 350%. National morality rates have plummeted and teen pregnancy escalated dramatically after prayer and the Bible removed from the schools. This is in the Congregational Prayer Caucus Foundation. We cannot argue with the facts. You cannot argue with the facts. While the church slept, God was removed from schools, removed from the government, and unfortunately removed from a lot of churches while the church slept. A second characteristic is that we are asleep to the schemes of the devil. This was a real eye-opener for me. As many times, I've even taught this several times, but as many times I never saw what I saw this week in this. Since he put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds or tares. I don't know that I've ever researched what that really meant, tares. So I looked it up. 
And this is in the uh, one of the Bible dictionaries. It says, tares is the beaded darnel mentioned only in Matthew 13. It's the lolium termulentum, <laughs> a species of ryegrass, the seeds of which are a strong soporific poison. Well, I didn't know what that meant either. So I looked that word soporific up. It says, it bears the closest resemblance to wheat until the ear appears. That word soporific means sleep-inducing. This is from Easton's Bible Dictionary. Sleep-inducing, a poison or drug that makes people go to sleep. I've never seen that in all my years of reading and teaching this. So while the church, while the men were sleeping, the enemy came in and planted seeds of poison that's going to make them drowsy and sleep. Have we seen that happen in our own nation? First Peter 5 eight says, Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times, for that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion, roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and to destroy. Number three characteristic is that the people who are asleep have no knowledge of God, which results in no fruitless or no fruit filled life and unholy living. First Corinthians fifteen thirty four says, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some, We're talking to the church, guys. This is not through the, through the world. This is, this is Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, talking to the church, the first century church. How much more do we need this today if it was needed then, right? If we've gotten so sophisticated, we should be so much further along than these guys were, but we're not. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. They have no understanding of the need to abide in Christ moment by moment so we can bear that fruit that is necessary. No desire for Christ and the knowledge of Christ. You know, and and it tells us that grace and peace come through the increased knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're talking about prayer and fasting. We're talking about intimacy with God. We were talking, uh, I think it was last night we were talking about this and and I said, you know, I, we pray all day long. We need to pray. I love prayer. But you know how you're going to get intimacy? Is this word. This is how you get intimacy. If you pray and don't have the word, you're going to, you're going to suffer yourself. You've got to have. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was made flesh. It dwelt among us. The word was God. If you want intimacy with God, read this word. Now, for me, it's mostly Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It just shows the character and the nature of who God is. But, of course, we love the New Testament, too. Asleep to the true knowledge of who God is. Many people have created a God that's totally unbiblical because they want a God that meets their lifestyle or the God that meets their own idea with their own personal theology. See, God tells you who he is. God declares his name of who he is. And he says, I am the I am of the Old Testament. I don't tolerate sin. I don't tolerate laziness. I don't tolerate slothful attitudes. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at Proverbs 6 and that word hate, we looked that up in the Hebrew and that word hate means that which cannot be tolerated. God says, I won't tolerate these six things I hate and seven is an abomination. He says, I'm not tolerating these things, pride and lying and running to evil and, and backbiting and all. He says, I'm not tolerating that. We have to have a hunger for God. He said, I'm the, I am the God of the Old Testament and there will be no other gods before me. That's the God. 
He said, I am also the God in the New Testament. Jesus is God. Jesus is the son. And he says to awaken from our stupor, awaken to truth. John 15, four and six says, abide in me and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, we're running on empty when we're not abiding in the vine and the knowledge of who he is. We're running on empty. That's why we start looking for programs and we start looking for this and activities and we stay busy and we have no fruit. We don't have fruit that remains. And this says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Do we see the seriousness? Jesus was talking to his disciples. 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So we love that last phrase, don't we? I can ask the father anything. He's going to give it to me. Well, only if you're satisfying the rest of chapter 15, are we abiding in him? Is his word abiding in us? Are we walking in obedience? Do we, do we hunger and, and have a passion for God? Do we want to spend time with him? Do we want to consume his word? Then we can ask whatever we will and it'll be done. What are some characteristics of a fruitless Christian? See how this, don't, you don't raise your hand now. Don't anybody jump up and say, that's me. This was probably all me at some point in my life, but not today. A fruitless Christian always talking about the glory days. They don't have a current testimony. They always want to, you know, I'm sick of hearing about Catherine Coleman and Smith Wigglesworth and Charles Finney. I love those guys. But don't we have something to talk about today? What's God doing today? I like to talk about the people that had uh, lesions taken off brains and livers like we've seen in the last couple of weeks, right? I like to see the people are talking about passing um, uh, kidney stones and didn't even know they had them. See, that's what God's doing today. Or removing paral- paralysis in feet, right, Deborah? That's what I like to hear about. Today. That's the God that's still working. We're a house of resurrection power. So fruitless Christians have a form of godliness but no power. They go through ritual. Three songs, take up the offering, do the announcements. We go home, check off our list, and we live life any old way we want to live. You know, when you go home today, when you go out of this door today, that's when church really starts. That's when your life as a believer starts. Every person you meet, meet is a potential setup by God. Every person you meet. Karen was telling me about she went home or got home and there was a young man sitting on her doorsteps right and she went out and tried to minister to him but he didn't want it but you know what that was a seed song that kindness that she gave some plants some water god gives the increase but he's you know god's got another somebody that somebody might be you how do we treat those that god loves so dearly that he died for how do we look at them does it matter to us what color their skin is if it does we don't know god Does it matter to us if they smell a little bit? If it does, we don't know God. Does it matter to us if they've got wine or on their breath or drugs in their system? If it does, we don't know God. Because he came for all of that. So they have programs without power. They're comfortable with a form of religious activity, but don't rock my boat. Right? Have you ever been somewhere and you saw the religious spirits go running out of the room? Yeah, we've seen that, haven't we? 
We didn't stick to the three songs, take up the offering announcement, and go home. What if God just wants to come in and wreck our service? We'll be okay with that. A fruitless Christian has no spiritual warfare or invasion of the enemy's territory. See, the enemy's not concerned about a fruitless Christian. We should call them Fruit Loop Christians. The enemy doesn't care about a fruitless Christian because they're not any danger. They're no threat. But, you know, start doing something for God. Start delivering people out of darkness and see what all hell breaks loose in your life, right? But you know what? We're more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. I'm telling you one thing. Tammy Heichman has impressed me so much in these last few days. I've watched her as her heart has been shattered. But she's got the peace of God in her. Does she have tears? Of course, she better have tears. She's going to have tears for a long time, but she's got the peace of God that passes all understanding. See, that didn't just happen overnight. That's because she knows the God who brings comfort. No spiritual growth. They're still sucking the passy. We're still changing their pampers. Let me tell you, I'm going to put you on notice. We don't change pampers anymore. If you want your pampers changed, those churches down the street, they'll do it for you. We're in battle, okay? We're in battle, okay? Fall back into old life patterns of sin. In other words, you keep slipping back, slipping back, slipping back. And no fruit that remains. Those are characteristics of a fruitless Christian. The sleeping church, a lack of holiness. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way. That word ought means under obligation. I don't like that translation either. Some translations have corrected that. Some of them say you ought to walk. If I tell my child you ought to clean your room, they'll say, well, that means I don't have to. Well, said I ought to do it, not that I have to do it, right? But we have to walk. We're under obligation to walk as Jesus walked. How did he walk in holiness and separation? First John 3, 6 and 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen or known him. You say, well, can I sin? Everybody sins. Well, you shouldn't be sinning after you've been born again. You've got the blood of Jesus. But if you do sin, you've got 1 John 1, 9, right? It should be so short-lived. I tell people, if you're comfortable sinning, you've never known him. If you're comfortable in your sin, you've never known him. He, don't let, he does not let me get by with a thing. And I'm so thankful not a thought, not an attitude. I even had to apologize to him over the weekend. Lord said, you know, that that's not right. So I, I, I you know, humbled myself. And... But it was necessary. When you cop a bad attitude or whatever, you know, it's necessary. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. But whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. This is pretty strong language, isn't it? This is not this mamby-pamby soft-soap sermons that we get in a lot of churches today. I've heard. I don't listen to them, but I've heard that from other people. There's okay. Everything, you know, God wants you to have your best life now, and you're just going out there and do everything. You know, God overlooks that, and everything's under grace, and that'll be okay, and you slide right into hell. Not only that, you'll have a miserable life on the earth while you're here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So the sleeping, the sleeping church has not separated itself from the world. The sleeping Christian has not separated ourselves from the world. 
Revelations 3, 4 through 6. This was the warning that was given to Sardis, and I believe the same to us. Yet there are still a few in Sardis who have remained pure, for they walk in fellowship with me. That's what he's wanting. In brilliant light, for they are worthy. And the one who experiences victory will be dressed in white robes, and I will never, no, never erase their name from the book of life. I will acknowledge your name before my Father and his angels. So the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. How many times have many of us in here heard that over recent week? Pray that you can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So important. So important. The key to remaining out of slumber is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Staying in the Word. Let me tell you, the world needs you to stay awake. The city needs you to stay awake. Your family needs you to stay awake. And many times we don't even know we're sleeping because we've been so lulled to sleep. We don't know that we're really just powerless, fruitless. We don't even know. In 2020, I believe there's a burden from the Lord that I know I have never in my life experienced. And I think that's true for many of you. I've heard you say it. It's a burden that can't be satisfied by mediocre church services. It's a burden that can't be satisfied by humdrum Christianity. It's a, a burden that keeps us awake at night. And many of you are know exactly what I'm saying because many of you are the same place. And all through the ages, there's been a call for the church to wake up. All through the ages. Full quote from Charles Finney. It says, Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there's a decay of conscience, conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore the fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility and respect to the morals of this nation. Reverend Charles Finney, 1875. They were having this message 2,000 years ago. Charles Finney, 100 years before, he was quoting someone else who was looking for the church and found it in the world. This is not a new message, but we're in a time, we're in a, I believe we're in a time, as Terry mentioned, that the doors are closing on our nation, but I have faith in the, in the remnant church to arise. I believe it. I believe we're going to come through greater than ever, but I'm telling you, it's going to take prayer warriors. If you want the pulpits on fire, get in the prayer room. Spend time between the porch and the altar weeping. A couple of weeks ago, Nehemiah prayed and mourned and fasted for four months before he ever went to the king, and he accomplished an impossible task in 52 days. And he worked and he watched, and that's where we're at today. I believe it's the greatest day of, of the, of, for the church. The greatest hour for the church is today. And I want to just encourage you as you go out that door, everywhere you go, Walmart, Food Line, wherever you may go, look for those divine setups that God has for you. It may be nothing but just a smile. It may be a word. It may be a mother who's ready to end it all. It may be a dad who who's, who's says life is hopeless. 
It may be that one that's getting ready to take that drink or, or that next hit because life is too hard and all they need is someone to grab them and pull them out of the, the pit. That's all they need. We have to have that compassion in our heart. We want to bear much fruit. We have to have something to give them, don't we? Don't go and just give them. Well, you need to come to my church. No, give them Jesus there. They may not live to come to your church. Give them Jesus where you find them. Give them the power of God that's resident in you if you're abiding in him. Right? Let's stand if you will. We always want to pray for the sick. Does anyone need prayer for healing this morning? Anybody? If you do, just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you. We're okay. Duke? Anybody else? Lana? Lori? Anyone else? My brother Gary, he's not here. We always pray for him. Is that it? Brenda, would you pray for the sick? I love to listen to this woman pray. She's incredible. Now there's an intercessor's heart. Our Father, we come before you today, first of all, with a grateful heart. We thank you, Father, that you love us so much, that you gave your life so that we could receive salvation and a covenant with you, Father, that included our healing. You made provision for that, Lord. And it is our faith, Father God, that we reach out to you with our faith, Lord, and we claim that provision that you have made for us. Father God, there are many here today that need that touch. Yes. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, by the power that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy One, our receiver, our interceptor, the one that gave his all for us so that we could have our petitions brought forward to him and our answers coming forth. So, Father, I pray a blessing on each and every one that is here, each and every one that receives their healing, Lord, because it's there if they will just receive it. Father, help them to act on the word. Help them to step on the word, to claim the word because you have given it to them and help them to accept it. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we just stand before you, Lord, as people who are saying, here I am, Lord, send me. God, show us what we can do. Show us, lead us to those divine setups, Lord, that only you can arrange, God. Let our hearts be filled with the power and presence of Almighty God. Lord, let us just feast on your word this week as we as we spend time. Let us turn off the TV and get off the computer, Lord, and just spend time in your word and spend time in your presence. God, we want to hear your voice and hear it clearly, Lord. We know there's lives at stake. There's children, there's schools, there's governments, there's nations, there's cities that are at stake unless the church arises and becomes ecclesia. God, I thank you for the vision you gave Terry of of the consequence of not returning to you. Lord, that there may be pockets of those cities that have been turned over to demonic influence. God, we say not on our watch. I pray you raise up prayer warriors and you raise up intercessors in every city in our nation. 
And God, regardless of how it looks, God, every city in our nation has that holy apostolic hub operating there, Father God, that's speaking into the heavens and declaring, setting forth your decree and your counsel, Lord. God, we thank you for it. And Lord, we just thank you for every opportunity you give to us to show the glory of God. Lord, to make you famous in the earth. God, I pray for every power gift you give any one of us, you give us a double gift of humility. True humility, Lord, not false humility. God, we just want to walk in your wisdom and walk in your compassion and walk in your power. I declare, Father, that this is a house of resurrection power. God, that people that are sick and have been turned away, Lord, they come into this place and you meet them here. You bring healing and wholeness. God, I thank you for that. That is a house of deliverance. It's a house, Lord, where addictions don't reside, Father God. That people come into this place and they, and they feel the chains of addiction fall off of them. God, we declare it in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for it. And I pray, God, wake up the church. Wake up the church, Lord. And we just thank you. We love you so much. We thank you, God. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Have a great week. Don't forget Wednesday. We moved our Monday prayer to Wednesday. So see you Wednesday at 630. Excited? Be blessed.